All right. Well, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible to Second Samuel chapter nine, uh, I am going to reference one verse in chapter four, but but I'm only reading one verse there. So why don't you go ahead and turn to chapter nine, which we're going to read uh, the entire thing here in just a minute. Uh, today we are looking at a story in Second Samuel that has one of the Bible's most well-known people, King David, and one of the Bible's most obscure people, Uh, a person with a really unique name that I feel as though as I was writing this uh, sermon that I used this name like 800 times, so uh, hopefully I can pronounce it well and it won't become almost comical uh, hearing this name over and over again, but we're looking at the story of David and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. If you're looking for a good Bible name for your child, uh, Mephibosheth is one that is not taken. And uh, so if you're looking for a unique name, there you you go. Little Mephibosheth bird. I'm going to try to get a grandson named that uh, someday. So... So we are first introduced to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. It's just this one verse, and here's what it says. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news came about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. So with the death of Saul and Jonathan, and if you have not been here with us this entire series, Saul was the king of Israel, Jonathan was his son, and the ascension of David to become the king over Judah, the family of Saul and Jonathan were thrown into a time of grief in their life, Uh, But even beyond that, they were thrown into a time of panic. And and here's why they were thrown into a time of panic. In those days, it was customary when a king took the throne that he would often eliminate the family of the king that preceded him. He would put them to death. And and so this is something that... Uh, was a real concern for the family of Saul and Jonathan, this uh, family of Mephibosheth. And so what Second Samuel 4, 4 is telling us about is what happened in this household uh, when Jonathan's family learned that, that their grandfather and their father had died and there was a new king. And so this little guy's nurse comes into the room after hearing this news in order to take him somewhere where he will be safe in order to, to flee from the danger that they sensed may be coming their way. And in the panic to get him to safety, she evidently dropped him, and the injury was such that he became crippled uh, for life. Uh, he ended up being taken to a place called Lodabar, uh, which was a desolate place, a uh, desolate area east of the Jordan River. So this is the setup for what we're going to read in 2 Samuel 9. Uh, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, crippled while fleeing uh, from this uh, potentially dangerous situation as they understood it. David is now king and Mephibosheth is living in a distant and desolate 
uh, place. So I'm going to read the entire second chapter. I'm sorry, the entire ninth chapter of Second Samuel. And why don't you follow along as I do? The word should be on the screen behind me. Uh, but if you need a Bible and would like a Bible, you are welcome uh, to the Bibles on either side of the sound booth. Here's what we find. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named uh, Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Notice this, Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named uh, Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived. (laughs) Oh, that's going to happen to me a lot today. All right. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. So, this story of David and Mephibosheth is a story of grace. Unearned undeserved, and unrepayable favor. What we see in these verses is the grace that David showed to, uh, to this man, Mephibosheth. And what this story is, beyond a historical account of how David treated this man, it is really a story that points forward to Jesus Christ. It, it is a story that illustrates how Christ deals with, uh, with us. We've talked a few times in the series about uh, what we call Old Testament types. And, and what those are, they, they are illustrations of what Christ is like played out in the lives of Old Testament figures. In this case, uh, David and uh, Mephibosheth. In every part of the story, as David relates to Mephibosheth, so God, so Christ relate to us. And so as we go through the story, what we're going to find is that in a sense, we are all Mephibosheths. And David's greater son, Jesus, treats us like David treated him. 
So there are a number of things that I want you to notice in this text today. First notice how we were introduced to Mephibosheth. We are introduced to him being crippled by a fall. It was out of his control. Events much bigger than him impacted him in a very dramatic way. And at this early point in his life, something happened to him that put him at a distinct disadvantage for the rest of his life. This fall left him unable to be completely self-dependent. He had to rely on others. He was vulnerable in ways that he otherwise would not have been. He was left at the mercy of others. Similarly, the human race, every single one of us in here today, we've been crippled by something that was completely out of our control. An event that was much bigger than us has impacted us in a very dramatic way. We have been placed at a disadvantage by the fall of our first ancestor, Adam. And by the sin nature that each and every one of us have inherited from him. We are sinners by our birth. Before we ever do anything, we are sinners. We're born that way. Of course, as I like to say, we, we, we go ahead and sin then. And if we felt like that was unfair, we, you know, we take care of that pretty early on in life. Uh, so we're sinners by birth and action. And, and the sin in our life has left us uh, at a lifetime disadvantage. We're unable to live up to the moral standards that God has for people. We are subject to sickness, disease, and death. We are powerless to obtain the righteousness that is required to be accepted by God. Like Mephibosheth was not as he was born to be, we are not as we were intended to be. We were created in the image of God. But the fall of Adam and our own sin have left us with a handicap, a disadvantage that we are powerless to do anything about. We are all Mephibosheths in this sense. But look at verse 1. David asked a question. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? In verse 3, Ziba tells David, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. And then verse 4, the king asks, where is he? So Mephibosheth is crippled. He is living in a desolate place. By the way, what better description of the place that sin takes all of us than a desolate place? But though crippled and living in a desolate place, these verses reveal something else about Mephibosheth, something very important. He is sought by the king. He is desired by the king. And we need to understand, to, to really get the impact of this Old Testament type of Christ, we need to understand that Mephibosheth did not seek out David. David sought Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was hiding from David. He was taking no initiative whatsoever toward David. All the initiative was taken 
by David. And notice that David is not dissuaded from his desire to find Mephibosheth. When he requires, if there are any descendants of Saul's, uh, Ziba answers, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. You almost get the sense that this was meant to dissuade David away from seeking out Mephibosheth. As if it was going to turn his heart away from a desire to show kindness, cause him to think that Mephibosheth was going to require too much effort on his part. But David was not dissuaded. He directs for Mephibosheth to be brought to him. You know, there's something that Christians are inclined to say. Uh, those of us who have received the salvation that God offers through Christ, we, we often talk about things like when we came to Christ. We, we talk about when we found Christ. And I suspect we're going to continue saying those kinds of things. Uh, we've been saying those things for quite a long time, and, and, and we understand there is a sense to when that, uh, there's a sense in which that's true. But it's not entirely accurate when we say those kind of things. You know, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. The truth is that God takes the initiative with us. He sought us out. He sent Christ into the world to seek and to save lost humanity. Like Mephibosheth was powerless to approach the king, we were powerless to approach God on our own initiative. So he sought and he found us. We really weren't the ones doing the seeking and the finding. You know, some of us here today are people who God is still seeking. You have not yet allowed him to apprehend you. You are running from him. You are hiding from him. And you need to know today that he continues to seek after you. And like David was not dissuaded from seeking Mephibosheth because he was crippled, God is not dissuaded from seeking you out and desiring you because of your sinful condition. No matter what it is. No matter what you are currently involved in, God is not dissuaded from seeking and desiring you. The Bible teaches that, that God sought mankind, God desired mankind when we were at our very worst. Romans tells us he, he sought us and even Christ laid down his life for us when we were his enemies. And so when we're at our worst, he still seeks us. He still desires us. And so no matter what your life is like today, God seeks you. He, he desires to show you favor. We've been sought by a king. We've been sought by what the Bible refers to as the, the king of kings. Next, we see that Mephibosheth was found in a distant place in a far country. Look at verse 4. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Mekir of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David brought him from Lodabar. Now, uh, Lodabar was a city east of the Jordan River in what 
if I was looking at the map correctly, would now today be in the country of Jordan. And the area was essentially a barren wasteland. Its very name means something along the lines of place without pasture, uh, place without communication. Uh, One definition of it I saw was place without bread. I mean, this is a lonely, barren, desolate place that uh, Mephibosheth is in. And that's where he was when he was sought by the king. You do not get any more lonely, barren, and desolate than separated from God by sin. You just don't. There's no more desolate place that people live than under condemnation because of their rebellion against God. And by the way, I'll just insert here... Uh, you know, we live in a time, we, we, we live in a society, and, and really the whole world, I think, is like this, is, you know, hey, hey, don't put in your condemnation over on me. You know, don't, don't judge me. And people are quick to say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't condemn. And uh, you need to read John 3 sometime. Here's the reason Jesus did not come condemning people, because we're all condemned already. No condemnation was needed. We are all under condemnation. Because of rebellion against God. That's where we live apart from Christ, and it's a desolate place to be. Separated from the presence of God with no hope of return is a far country. And that's where sin has taken all of us. And that's where God had to seek us out. He came to us. He didn't just come to us, though. He became one of us in order to save us. Ephesians describes it this way. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. David's actions toward Mephibosheth are a great picture of grace. But David's actions are merely a type that points to a greater expression of grace, that points to the ultimate expression of grace. And that is God sending his son, God taking on humanity, coming to our far country, coming to our desolate place, becoming one of us so that he could save us and restore us into a relationship with himself. Look at verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Notice that he had to reassure him, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth probably had no idea why he had been summoned. Oh no, he may have thought. I have finally been found by the king. I am in big trouble here. So David says, don't be afraid. Afraid, And here's where we see the next thing that I want to point out from this passage. We've seen 
now that Mephibosheth has been crippled by a fall. We see that he's been sought by a king. We see that he has been found in a far country. And now we find something that's very important to the story. I would say perhaps the most important point of the story. Mephibosheth is saved for the sake of someone else. He is saved for another's sake. David gives the reason that he is going to show this great kindness to Mephibosheth. He says, it is for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Why was David doing this? He had this close friend, Jonathan. You read about it if you, if you read through First and Second Samuel with us uh, uh, when we were at that point in our Bible reading plan. He was doing this for his friend. He was in covenant with his friend, Jonathan. And so he was going to take care of Mephibosheth for the sake of Jonathan. God has sought us out. God has saved us. Not because of any deserving on our part at all. But he has saved us for the sake of another He has saved us for the sake of Jesus Christ. We merit nothing with God on our own. Nothing. Acts 4.12 tells us salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name, there is no other person under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We are saved entirely for the sake of another. We are saved entirely for the sake of Jesus Christ. Second sentence of verse 7. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Second sentence of verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Verse 13. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Now imagine uh, with me for a minute what it might have been like for Mephibosheth as he was growing up in Lodabar. He was taken there when he was five years old. Do you think that he probably wondered from time to time what life would have been like for him if uh, Grandpa and Dad had not uh, been killed? If he had been able to grow up as the royal that he was meant to be? But his life was nothing like He was born into. Perhaps he occasionally daydreamed that someday, somehow, he would be restored to the place that he was born. But likely as the years went by, uh, that dream was just stripped away. And he no longer had hope that that could ever happen. But now after years of being in a desolate place, through David, by the grace of David, he is restored to the station that he was born to in life. David restored to him all the land that belonged to his grandfather Saul. David insisted that Mephibosheth eat at his table as a member of his own family. Most kings would have killed this man. David invites him in to be a part of his very own family. And the end of the chapter lets us know that he lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And then it curiously ends with this reminder that he was crippled 
in both feet. I found that so interesting uh, that, that it ended with he was crippled in both feet. And I think this simply is meant uh, to remind us that Mephibosheth was never a convenience for David. Mephibosheth never progressed from needing help. Mephibosheth never became self-sufficient. Mankind was created in the image of God. Our first ancestors walked in perfect communion with God, the crown of creation, but sin separated them and us from our place at the king's table. Like David restored Mephibosheth, so God, for the sake of Christ, restores to us all that we lost in the fall. We're restored to fellowship with God. And we are restored to the full inheritance that comes with being a child of the king. David sought and restored Mephibosheth, but Mephibosheth had to respond. You know, the enemies of our, the enemy of our souls tries to get us to continually reject God when he seeks after us. The enemy of our souls, the enemy of your soul, tries to get you to stay in the desolate place. When word comes that the king wants you to run further into the desolate place. So many people are living in a figurative Lodabar when they should be living and sitting and feasting at the king's table. So many people are living in a place that the fall has taken them rather than the place that God has for them. The place of fellowship and inheritance, the place of privilege, the place where they live with all of the benefits that come with being favored by the king. If you are here today and you know that you are far from God, you do not have to stay in that place. God is seeking you. And God wants to restore to you the place that mankind had before we fell. When we do respond, as so many of us in this place have responded to God seeking after us, and when we are restored to fellowship with God, restored to the inheritance that comes from belonging to him, then for us, we need to remember something. We need to remember that we never progress from needy to self-sufficient. We never progress from being needy to being independent. We always remain entirely dependent on God's grace. Always. He was crippled in both feet. At the king's table... Crippled. We never progress to self sufficiency with God. We are always utterly dependent upon God's grace. A problem in the church is that we often start out so well. And by that I mean we start out understanding our need of God's grace. But then after a while, we begin to think of ourselves as good Christian people. Morally concerned men and women, which we should be. But if we aren't careful, 
we can start to think that we are meriting our way with God. We could still intellectually say that we're not, but somewhere deep down in our heart, we begin to think that we are. And it is when this happens that Christians can become very, very ugly. You've seen this. When they fail to extend the grace that they've received. When they fail to remember that they never progress beyond needing God's grace, being totally dependent on God's grace. Friends, those of us here today who have allowed ourselves to be apprehended by God, we have been restored to the king's table. And everything that that means, the full inheritance of God that comes with that. But we are eternally dependent on the grace of God. We're all Mephibosheths. We've all been crippled by a fall. We've all been sought by the king. We've all been found in a far country, saved for another's sake, and restored to the king's table. And Matthew Henry was a theologian that lived, I think, three or four hundred years ago. And as I was studying this week, I, I came upon his summary of this chapter of the Bible, and I wanted to read it to you. I thought it uh, was so well uh, written. I, I do have to tell you ahead of time that I did change one word in the quote, but since it's a quote, I should probably tell you that I changed it. Uh, there's a place in this where I will say the word delights, that Matthew Henry said dainties. And I thought there was, a, there was a translation problem from three or four hundred years ago till today. Uh, so I went with delights. All right, here we go. All right. Here's what he writes. Now, because David was a type of Christ, let his kindness to Mephibosheth illustrate the kindness and love of God our Savior towards fallen man which yet he was under no obligation to as David was to Jonathan. What a great point. David was under obligation to Jonathan. He had made a covenant. God was not under obligation to us. Man was convicted of rebellion against God and like Saul's house under the sentence of rejection from him, he was not only brought low and impoverished, but lame and impotent, made so by the fall. The Son of God inquires after this degenerate race and comes to seek and save them. To those of them that humble themselves before him and commit themselves to him, he restores the forfeited inheritance. He entitles them to a better paradise than that which Adam lost and takes them into communion with himself, sets them with his children at his table and feasts them with the delights of of heaven. Beautiful summary of that chapter. One day Jesus told a parable that explained how God seeks after those who are separated from him. Here's what Jesus said. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If you have been apprehended by God, you have been found in the far country, you have experienced his grace and favor. Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful? If you have not, you need to know something. You need to know that like the shepherd in that parable, you need to know that like David in the story that we looked at today, God is actively seeking after you. His love for you, his seeking after you, deserves a response from you. If you have not yet responded, I encourage you today to respond to the one who is seeking you. Why don't you stand up?